please be seated. Um, a really quick side note, I just want to do a shout out um, for those of you that got to participate in the Secret Sisters. Um, this summer, um, Nancy Nichols um, was in charge of that this year, so can we give her a round of applause for all the um, time and effort that she put in, but what's really special is my sweet sis secret sister this year, um, Janie Esler, um, gave me my last gift this morning, and I thought it was really cool because it applies to today's scripture reading. It says, rejoice and be glad, and so um, if you all will pray with me before we read the scripture today. Oh, Lord, thank you for this time together, God. Um, thank you that we can come and just corporate, corporately gather and worship you. Um, God, I ask that you would just, the scripture and the message that we hear, Lord, that you would just soften our hearts um, to just what you would have to teach us today, Lord. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Um, God, we ask that you would just be with those that are not here today. Um, God, be the one with the ones that are here, Lord, as well. Um, God, we just love you and we praise you, and we thank you for this time together. And bear with me, because there's some interesting words. Um, I'm reading out of Philippians 4, 2 through 7. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Cintiq to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion... Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I made, the, I made sure those hard words were in the reading when I thought Josh was going to be doing it. And then he couldn't be here, and so his wife's doing it, and now I just feel like a jerk. <laughs> Sorry, Anna. I, I also, I went to a church once that had, um, had the pastor's face on fans. They were fans stuck in the back pew. So if you got too hot, you could... I, wouldn't, I don't think we should do mine, but maybe we could get Brandon's face on there with that smolder. Yeah, yeah, that glow about you, that's right. Um, well, uh, this is a true, true story, true story. I, uh, I, I have a friend who retired um, sometime in these last couple of years, and uh, he was retired and he was home a lot, obviously, and at one point his, his wife looked at him and uh, she said, you know what, you need a hobby. With, uh, with him being home more, there's a little more conflict, a little less peace in the house, maybe. She, she kind of had her things she was used to. And so he took up golf. So he would go and he would start playing golf and uh, <clears throat> he'd come home. And he'd go out in the morning, he'd come home a little bit, a little bit later. And uh, after a little while, she looked at him and she said, how many holes are you playing? And he said, well, you know, I'm just playing nine holes. And 
And she said, play the full 18. <laughs> and he did, and uh, things were much more peaceful, much more peaceful in the home. Uh, so today, we are looking at Ephesians 1, uh, verse 2. And I promise we will speed up a little bit more after this. But I, I wanted us to start here and to take some time to pay attention to these things that we usually gloss over. And here in this passage, Paul is talking about peace. Uh, you know, we're, we, we talk about peace a lot, but it's that, that idea of tranquility, that, that absence of conflict, that harmony. And the question I have for you today is, is there peace in your home? Or, or do you, like my friend, do you need someone to pick up a new hobby? Is there peace in your home? If we are honest and we think about all the things that have happened over the last couple of weeks, school has started back, some people have changed jobs, some people have had other life changes, and there are all of these things that, that threaten our peace, that threaten that, that harmony, that, I, that lack of conflict. And so the question is, how do we get peace? Well, what does the world say? What does the world say? The, the world says a lot of different things. There are a lot of different ideas about how you can go about getting peace. Um, here are just some of them. So one of them, and this one is very, very popular, one of them is if you want peace in your life and you don't have it, actually what you need to do is don't change a thing, just accept what is and learn to be okay with it. We, we actually say this a lot, and, the, and this, this idea is just, it's out there. You hear people, you know, hey, how's it going? Oh, there's just all this stuff, that crazy stuff going on in my life. You know, oh, is there anything I can do to help? No, oh, it is what it is. It is what it is. I'm just going to accept it, learn to be okay with it, not worry about it too much. And this is not a new idea. Um, you can even find this idea uh, as far back maybe even as um, Buddhism in the, the 5th century B.C. And, and the idea behind it is you, you don't have peace because you desire things to be different. You don't have peace because your desires are, are stirring stuff up. And what you really need to do is just stop the desire for things to be different and you will be okay. Simply accept what is it is what it is, and then everything will be fine. Kill that desire. You don't need to worry about it, and then you will be fine. The, the Bhagavad Gita actually has this in here. It says, The man who has abandoned all desire moves free from longing, indifferent to me and mine, and without ego attains peace. This is the divine condition who, undiluted, comes to this, abiding there till his end time comes, Arjuna knows absolute peace. So if you want to have peace in your life, according to this philosophy, which has been picked up in a lot of mainstream ways, then really all you need to do is just kill those desires. When you're frustrated, when things aren't going according to plan, when there's conflict, you need to work harder at killing those desires, and then you will have peace. Just accept what is and move on. What you want doesn't matter. That's one way. That's one way. The, the other way, uh, kind of an, an opposite approach, is this. If you want peace, 
You need to change everything to fit your desires. So one is, is just kill those desires. What you want doesn't matter. The other one is change everything to fit your desires. And without going into all of this, um, it, it has its ideas in uh, what now in the West is being called expressive individualism, expressive individualism. And the, the idea behind it is um, what I want is absolute, and I'm going to express that. I'm going to put that out there as an absolute, and everyone else can just deal with it. Trevin Wax puts it this way. He says, the key here is that the purpose of life is to find one's deepest self, what your desires are, what you want, and then express that to the world, forging that identity in ways that counter whatever family, friends, political affiliations, previous generations, or religious authorities might say. In other words, this is the camp that says, follow your heart no matter what. Live your truth and let everyone else deal with it. Make everyone else see things your way in order to be your authentic self is what we call that. And, and, and you can be your authentic self and live that out. And now that is your ultimate good. And once you are doing that, now you have peace. Now we instinctively probably know that if you're taking such a combative stance, you're probably not angling towards peace anyway. However, this viewpoint says when you're frustrated, things aren't going according to plan, when there's conflict, what you need to do is you need to work harder at convincing yourself and others that your needs are most important. What you want is all that matters. So you have them both here. Uh, you, you can either do the, hey, what you want doesn't matter, or what you want is all that matters. And we see both of those extremes coming through in our culture. Christianity teaches something different, and it teaches something that you won't find anywhere else. And, and we get the, the first taste of it here in chapter 1, verse 2, and then we'll talk more about this later on through the book because Paul is not going to leave this alone. <clears throat> but he begins, as we saw last week, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a common greeting for Paul. This is a common greeting. If you go and you read some of his other letters, you're going to see these same words. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a common greeting for him. It's something that he's, he wrote often. He probably said it often. But it's not a common greeting for the time. It's not a common greeting for the time. Paul came up, he, he wrote this intentionally because he is trying to communicate something. When Paul writes this, he means something by it. He's not just saying, hey, how are you? He means something. And it begins with something that shows that, that this is a radically different approach to life. It is radically different than the things that you will find in the world. And, and the, the two that we just looked at, any of the other ones that you want to go find, it's radically different because it starts with this word, grace. Grace to you. Grace. Unearned, unmerited favor. Grace to you. 
Do you know what that's like? Do you know what grace is like? That unearned, unmerited favor? It's not a perfect analogy, but it's kind of like um, going to the pound to pick out a dog. And you're looking at these, these dogs that are here in dog jail, and some of them are on death row, and you're looking at these dogs, and, and you see one, and you, you just, you want it. It's going to be yours. You're going to take it home. No matter what your husband says, you're going to take it home. <laughs> she didn't do that. Not her. And you see this dog, and you're looking at it. You know it's going to chew up your shoes. You know it's going to dig in the yard. You know it's going to pee in your house. You know it. But you look at it and you say, you're mine. It hasn't done anything. Not a thing. Some of them aren't even cute. It hasn't done a thing. But you look at it and you say, you're mine. Unmerited, unearned favor. It's grace. It's not about working harder. It's not about trying harder. It is about receiving what has been given. And this is what you and I need. You actually need this. You, you need that favor from God to be unearned. Because if I didn't earn it in the first place, the ups and downs in my performance, my wavering belief, my feelings, the coldness of my heart, whatever it is, cannot take that grace away. I never earned it in the first place. And I'm not going to earn my way out of it. It starts with grace. Grace to you. And then he writes, and peace. Grace to you and peace. Some commentators have said that this is, this is like a cause and effect. Because when you have that grace from God, it actually leads to the peace. Why? Because I don't have to achieve I don't have to perform. It's not about being good. What I can do is I can rest in the goodness of Christ on my behalf. There are no more eggshells. I'm His. I belong to Him. He's looked and said, you are mine. And that love is what begins to motivate me to obey. It leads to peace with God because I can rest knowing I'm His. I've received His favor through grace. And it actually begins to lead to peace with others. And we're going to see this as we get further into Ephesians. But just to touch on it, the, the basic idea is this. If I didn't earn grace, I can't demand others earn it with me. God calls us to go and to love the way we were loved. And if I didn't earn God's grace, I can't demand others earn it with me. Now, all of this, Paul writes, all of this is from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's from God our Father, and it is from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean for peace to come from God our Father? What it means is this. God is a father unlike any human father. Some of us have had wonderful fathers. Some of us have not. Some of us may not have known our fathers. But God is a father unlike any human father because He is always good. He always has your best in mind. He is always caring. He is always loving. He never overreacts. He never abandons. He never stops working for your good. And more than that, He is present. He is with you. And so when I see this, and I see grace to you and peace from God our Father, 
I can know that if God is Father, He has a plan to work all things together for my good, even the things in my life that are the hardest to imagine any good coming out of. His plan, though, it's not all about killing desires. It's not all about fulfilling desires. It's not about either one of those extremes. And it's really not even a balance. What it is, is it about aligning my desires with the heart of the Father? That is what God wants to do, is He wants to align our desires with the heart of the Father. That is what a good Father wants. He is not after mere behavior. He is not after simply performance. He's not after trying to maintain a certain image. What He is after is He is after aligning our hearts with His so that they beat in sync, so that, so that we're, we're pointed in the right direction, so that we want what He wants and we don't want the things He doesn't want. And this is important. It's not just merely about behavior. Behavior follows, but, but this is important because you can have the right behavior with your heart in the wrong place. And any of you that have had kids or been a boss or been a kid, you know that that's true. Have you, ever, have you ever said those words or heard those words? Hey, clean up your room. And you know that that is coming with the full force and authority of, you know, mom's getting home at five or dad's getting home at five. So clean up your room has authority behind it. You're going to do it. You're going to behave. But the whole time you're doing it, oh, I can't believe I'm going to clean it stupid stuff and you're kicking the toys over and you're shoving the books on the shelf right you can behave but your heart is in the wrong place God as our father his plan his plan is to to use everything at his disposal to align our hearts with him so that we want to we want to follow Him. We want to obey. We want to run after the things that He wants us to run after. God wants our hearts to respond to His grace with love. That is what it means for this grace and peace to come from God our Father. What does it mean for peace to come from the Lord Jesus Christ? Of particular interest is this word Lord, kurios. It means one with power, with authority. He's in charge. His decisions matter. What, what He wants to accomplish, He will accomplish because He is the Lord. This word is in direct opposition, by the way, to what everyone would hear in the Roman Empire when they hear, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians say, Christ is Lord. He is the one with the authority. He is the one who can accomplish the Father's will. And so, what we can do is as our hearts are aligning with the Father's and we begin to love what He loves and hate what He hates, our desires are beginning to change. And where we see that things aren't right, we can see where desires need to change or we can see where they need to be pursued because they are aligned with the heart of the Father. Where we see these things, we can trust that the Lord Jesus Christ is at work and He is able to succeed even if and when I can't. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. So if Jesus is Lord, 
He has all authority and power He needs to accomplish the Father's plan. Here's the thing. If I am aligning my heart with the Father's, if I am trusting Jesus, the Lord, to accomplish the Father's plan and to use me in it as He will, it keeps me from being a doormat and it keeps me from being a tyrant. Because it's not all about me. It's not all about what I want. It's actually not all about what you want either. It's about what is the Father trying to accomplish? How is Christ the Lord at work in this situation in and through me? And as we embrace these truths, we're not a doormat and we're not a tyrant. We begin to align our lives and the things that we want with this beautiful, beautiful things that we see in the Gospel. Now, how do we embrace these truths? How do we embrace these truths and grow in our awareness of grace and peace? How do we embrace these truths and begin to live this out better in our lives? To live out this grace and peace. To to take what we have received from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, and begin to, to live that out. To begin to apply it in our lives. I want to say this. It is simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. It is simple. It is simple in this. What you need to do, and what I need to do to embrace these truths from the heart, to to begin to grow in our awareness of and our expression of these things and to live out, is we need to look at the ultimate act of grace displayed on the cross. It's that simple. Begin to look at the ultimate expression of God's grace on the cross. It's, It's that simple. To look at Christ righteous life on our behalf, crucified in our place, risen again to secure life for us and to prove that He conquered sin and death. It's that simple to to look at Him and to recognize that you and I will never go through anything worse than Jesus went through on the cross. You will never go through anything worse than Jesus went through on the cross. He experienced hell ultimate agony, ultimate suffering, abandonment. Why? So that no matter what you go through, you never have to experience what He did. And then He added to it this promise. I I can't remember who said it, but they put it this way. They said, if you belong to Christ, then the pains that you have on this side of heaven are the worst of hell you will ever see. Okay, did you hear that? The, the pains, if you belong to Christ, the pain and the trouble and, and the conflict and, and all of these things that you experience on this side of heaven, that's the biggest taste of hell that you're ever going to get. But, but if you belong to Christ, all of the joys that you experience on this side of heaven are the smallest taste of heaven. And just an appetizer for the eternity that Christ has prepared for you. It's that simple. Look to Christ on the cross. Look at Him risen from the grave. Look at Him ascended to the right hand of the Father where He makes intercession for you and for me. Look at Him there. It is that simple. Remember the promises of God and preach them to your heart over and over. It is that simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy because this requires effort. 
It requires discipline. It requires time. It requires heart. It's effort. It's not earning. You didn't earn anything, but it does require effort. It requires turning our faces upward. It, it requires that, that discipline of, of beginning to look up when, when we're looking down. It requires community and people who can help lift our face when we can't. It requires effort. It's not easy to train our hearts to believe in God's truth, but we must. I love what Martin Luther said. He said, you should not believe your conscience and your feelings more than the word which the Lord who receives sinners preaches to you. It's simple, but it's not easy. But as we begin to do that, as we begin to lift our faces up, what happens is it becomes our reaction faster, quicker. It becomes a habit to where the first thought through your mind is a prayer. It happens faster. If we do that, if we do that, if we begin to, to recognize the grace that we have received, the peace that comes from that, and to see all of this is a gift from God, our Father who loves us, cares for us, has a plan, and the Lord Jesus Christ who can accomplish this plan for us and for our ultimate good, if we do that, then in the days we need it most, God will supply our hearts with the peace we need when we need it most. That's what we just read in Philippians. If we do that, if, if we, we take ourselves before the Lord and we begin to look up at Him, God will supply our hearts with the peace we need when we need it most. Not tomorrow's today. Not yesterday's today. Today's today. And when we have a heart full of that kind of peace, we can say, as B.B. Warfield did years ago, even when the clouds obscure his face, and only faith discerns the place where in the heavens he soars this floweret still with constant eye, the secret places of the sky untiringly explores. Look up, my soul. What can this be but nature's parable to thee? Look up with courage bright. The clouds press on thee, dense and black. Thy sun shines ever at their back. Look up and see his light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your peace. We need your grace for today. And tomorrow, we need tomorrow's grace. Lord, be with us when we cannot lift our heads. Lift them for us to see that you are ever by our side, that you are good, that you love us, and you are with us. Jesus Christ, be our peace. It is in your precious name we pray. Amen.